stress. You know, stress is one of the primary cripplers of our society. Health and productivity, religious commitments, relationships, happiness are all eroded and destroyed when stress gets out of hand. And we've seen a lot of that this past year. And it's already started again in full force as we begin 2021. One writer I read after referred to something he called stress fractures in our lives. And if you consult a medical book about stress fractures, what you learn very quickly is that it has something to do with microscopic cracks in the bone. It happens to athletes a lot in the feet and the legs as they pound their bones and their legs and their feet in the sport repeatedly over and over again, often without much recovery time. Over time, eventually, little fissures occur in the surface of the bone and eventually they become cracks that create pain and those are called stress fractures. If you consult an engineering manual or go look at one of these bridges in Dell City, you're going to discover very quickly that stress fractures have something to do with fissures and bridges and pillars and foundations. And you don't want those that are supposed to support something as heavy as a Mack truck. If you consult your life, on the other hand, you're going to have to admit and learn very quickly that the constant stress and pressure you feel in your life is causing a, a, a fracture of a very different nature. I mean, you're hurting on the inside, and you can't really explain why. You have wounds, but you couldn't say where they are for sure. You're desperate for help and healing, but you have no idea where to find it. You see, when we see breaks in bones, we know they're painful, and cracks and bridges are pretty scary. But even they are no match for the ache of your heart, of a fractured spirit, of a broken heart, of a shattered life. And perhaps you felt that kind of pain recently. Perhaps you've seen that in your own life, and that pain lies deeply. And it's a pain that haunts you through the day and keeps you awake at night. What do you do with that? Some people try to deaden it with chemicals and booze. Or they try to silence it with an insistent voice uh, 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 the insistent noise of loud music or constant other noise or activity in their lives. Or maybe they try to soothe it in some forbidden relationship. But those kinds of remedies for our spiritual pain have absolutely no lasting value because the pain is still there. And without proper therapy, it can get worse until you yourself are crippled. I want to encourage you today to listen to that pain. Listen to the pain in your heart and seek God's cure for crippling stress because you don't have to go on hurting in your life. You don't have to turn to noise or drugs or alcohol or an extramarital affair in order to cope with the daily pressures of life. God has a plan. He's given us cures. And for the next several weeks, we're going to look at what God's cure for crippling stress is. We're going to search His Scriptures the answers are here. You don't need a lot of pop psychology to figure out what to do with stress in your life. God gives us the answers in His Word. There's an old Greek motto that says, You will break the bow if you keep it always bent. And a lot of us have our bowstrings so tight in life, and we're so high-strung in life, we need to learn to loosen them before we break the bow. So how do I do that, Jeff? Where do I go in the Word to learn how to slow down and relax 
even when we try to do that, other people put demands on us, don't they? I mean, since, since the advent of mobile telephones, you cannot ignore the phone anymore. You have to turn that sucker off or you will be constantly bombarded with news feeds or text messages or social media always at you. How do I get away from the stress? Suicide is at an alarming high rate in our land because people feel trapped with no way out of their pain. And so the bow breaks. Solomon, bless his heart, was wise enough to ask for wisdom when God said, I'll give you anything you want. And inspired by the wisdom of God, he gives us some wise therapy for eliminating anxiety that often accompanies our stress. We're talking about anti-anxiety therapy today from Proverbs chapter 3. And in verses 5 and 6, he says, here's the prescription. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. In this text, I see four keys to successful anti-anxiety therapy that I want to share with you today. That's your next slide. And the first key is your next slide is this. It is accept. He wants us to accept. We have to learn to accept God at His Word. I know that sounds simple, but yet we don't do it. We find it hard to do. Solomon says it this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We have to accept God as His Word. If we're ever going to get rid of anxiety and crippling stress in life, you know, God told the Israelites as they were getting ready to take Canaan land, He said, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8. He told them, those words, those marching orders as they were preparing to enter Canaan land. If they had allowed the anxiety of the moment to cause them crippling stress, they would have never been able to possess all that God wanted them to possess. Did you know God makes the same promise for you and me? Did you know that? It's repeated over and over again, particularly in Hebrews 13. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said it in Matthew 28. Just before he left the earth, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Folks, if we're going to live victorious lives in Christ, if we're going to be disciples who are living wholeheartedly and accepting God at his word, we're going to have to trust him with all our heart. If we don't, we'll be crippled with anxiety and stress and become spiritual invalids. The word trust in this text is an interesting word. I didn't study Hebrew in college, nor... Do, am I going to attempt to say that I, that I could even pronounce it? Because they don't even have, they don't even have vowels. They just have consonants, and you got to guess at whatever it is that that's supposed to sound like. But I did a little research, and the Hebrew word that is translated as trust here carries with it the idea of throwing oneself down and lying extended on the ground before someone more powerful than you. Your dog does that, right? Those of you that have dogs, the dog lays down, he's just all stressed out on the floor. 
It's pretty common for a dog to do that unless that dog has been abused. Cattle, on the other hand, getting a cat to do that, you have really mastered something because they don't trust anybody, not even their own shadow. But when your animal is like that, that is a sign of complete and utter and total trust. And Solomon's saying, that's the way you need to be before God. Trust God with all your heart. That's where your security is. That's where your shelter is. And so you may be thinking to yourself right now, well, Jeff, I trust God. I mean, I believe in Jesus Christ. I accept God as His Word. I mean, I was baptized when I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I've been part of the church my whole life. Maybe that's true for you. But the question isn't, do you trust God? The question is, do you trust God with your whole heart? With all that is within you? Fully and totally and completely? Because your acceptance of God and His will and purpose in your life cannot be weak-hearted. It cannot be half-hearted. It has to be whole-hearted. You've probably heard the story of the guy walking the tightrope um, over Niagara Falls, right? You all heard this story, guy tightrope's across. He's got his balancing pole, and he's walking across, and he gets to the other side, and everybody cheers and roars. And I don't know if you've been to Niagara Falls, but it's a pretty scary place if you're over that big chasm, and the foam and the mist is coming, and the roar of the water is deafening. He walks back across with his pole, Everybody cheers. He's just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Next thing he does, he, he does it without the pole. He goes all the way across, and oh, they just cheer. They can't believe this acrobat is so nimble, and it's just a little cable he's walking on. Well, then he grabs a wheelbarrow, walks back across, makes it just fine without a lick of a problem. Everybody's saying, what a wonderful acrobat he is. Little boy's standing over there applauding and just saying, that is amazing. And the acrobat looks at the little boy. He says, son, do you think I can get this wheelbarrow back across the rope? Yes, sir, I believe you can. He said, okay, jump in. Oh, wait a minute. You mean you want me to get in the wheelbarrow? I mean, I trust you can do the wheelbarrow. But now you're wanting me to make a personal commitment to your wheelbarrow pushing talent? I might not want to do that. I don't know about you. Isn't that exactly what God wants you and me to do? Isn't it? Isn't that what God calls you and me to do? If we're going to conquer anxiety, if we're going to destroy crippling stress in my life and in yours, we're going to have to not just talk about it. We have to get in the wheelbarrow. You may not be able to see the end of the road. But you know who's driving the wheelbarrow. He's done it many times before. He promises he's going to do it good for you, and you have to accept him at his word. The second key to anti-anxiety therapy, waiting on the second key, is abandon. When I say abandon, what I mean is, is we have to abandon our own wisdom. When we can't see it, we have to abandon it anyway. We have to abandon our own understanding. We have to cancel 
our personal agendas. We have to redefine our personal comfort zones. Solomon said it like this. Do not lean on your own understanding. Abandon it. You know the reason why so many of us are filled with anxiety and have such a difficult time totally trusting God with whatever else it is in life that's going on? We try to confine God to our minute understanding. If I can't see how it's going to turn out, then I'm not sure it's going to turn out because my wisdom isn't seeing it. Isaiah quotes God by saying this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. If I'm just relying on my wisdom, I'm never going to see what God's ultimate plan and, dis and discernment is all about. When we lean on our understanding, our sights are set too low. The very best wisdom man has to offer is foolishness to God. Paul told the Corinthians that in 1 Corinthians one twenty-five, when he said, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. And so we must abandon our own understanding and replace it with God's. So many times in my life, true confession time, I've chosen to lean on the wrong understanding. Has that ever happened to you? Try to figure it out on your own. I, I mean, something like this, a crisis arises. So you plan and you scheme and you fret and you fiddle and you make phone calls and you're just about at your wit's end. And, and then it occurs to you, you know what, maybe I need to pray about this a little bit. And so you pray and almost instantaneously as you are praying, things begin to calm down. And you realize you got in a stew for no good reason whatsoever. You see how backward that is? That is completely backward. We should always pray first. Always lean on God first, not last. Must be a first thought, not an afterthought. We would save ourselves so much needless worry and anxiety if we just quit leaning on our own understanding. We need to lean on God's, which brings up another issue, we have to realize it's impossible to lean on something which you do not know. You cannot lean on the wisdom of God if you do not know it. So how can I get that? How can I lean on God's understanding? How can I learn on His wisdom? You fervently read and study the Word. There's a phenomenon that has occurred in the last 24 months or so uh, that, that I'm trying to wrap my head around. I have seen an amazing passion among God's people. A passion and a warrior mentality for their favorite politician, for their favorite policy, for their favorite opinion for their favorite moral justice cause, for everything except seeking and saving the lost and studying the Word of God. Church, if we spent just 10% of the time 
studying the Word of God that we spend on social media, we would all be Ph.D., Ph.D. professors of the will and wisdom of God. Why is it we get so passionate about something that's of this world and we're dispassionate about something that's otherworldly? I don't understand that. I see it in my own life. I see it in the lives of my brothers and sisters. I've seen it on your Facebook. If you would get a tent as fired up about somebody going to hell as you are someone dying of COVID, we would no doubt save the world for Jesus Christ. We need passionate warriors who are educating themselves with the will of God so that we can go out fully equipped and fully prepared to fight spiritual warfare against something that's far more deadly than COVID-19 and far more consequential than a presidential election. And that is the eternal destiny of people that we claim to love. We need passion for that. And when we do that, and we see how God has providentially reserved this Word for generations upon generation. We'll know now what we can lean upon, how we get the power of Him into our lives. Prayer alone is not enough. I can pray all day to know God's will. I can sleep on my Bible. But if I don't open it up and study it and read it on my own, if all you get... If all you get, spiritually nutrition speaking, is what you get here today, you are dying of spiritual starvation. You must get into the Word and abandon your own understanding. You know, none of that was in my notes, but this, the Lord just said, you need to say this, so do it. So I did. And now we're going <laughs> to... Hope that didn't cause you too much anxiety. All right, we're anti-anxiety therapy today. Let me just take it down a notch and get us back calm. There's a third key that we can see from this text, and that is acknowledge. Before God can cure you of strict crippling stress, you must acknowledge His reality in every facet of your life. Solomon says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. He's talking about a lifestyle of God acknowledgement. God holds no cure for part-timers. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you're just a part-time disciple, then don't expect God to take away your stress. Just being part-time in and of itself is enough to be stressful. Trying to figure out which day I'm going to be a disciple, which day I'm not going to be a disciple. I mean, how do you keep it all together? It's kind of like not always telling the truth, right? You tell one lie, you have to tell another lie, you have to tell another lie. Pretty soon you lose track of which lie you told to whom, and it just gets messy. Some folks are what I call part-time Christians, part-time disciples. And there's time in my life that I've been that myself. And there will probably be a few days in the future that I turn into a part-time disciple of Jesus. But let me tell you something. You cannot expect full company benefits when you only work part-time. It just doesn't work. 
in the American workplace. A lot of times an employer will only hire part-time people so that they don't have to pay a lot of money for full-time benefits such as health care and, 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 and retirement plans and, and paid time off and all of these other benefits that full-time workers get. Here's what I want you to know. In God's workplace, He really doesn't want part-timers at all. He's not really interested in part-time because He wants to give you full benefits. That's why Jesus came to fill the earth with His grace and His mercy and washed in the blood of Christ so you get the full-blown benefits of being His disciple. And one of those benefits is curing crippling stress, but it requires full-time commitment. I know this is true because Jesus said these words to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He said, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. The word there literally means vomit. Being a cold disciple of Jesus is one thing. That means you're out all the way. Being hot is another. That means you're in all the way. But being lukewarm is you can't decide which one you want to be. And that makes Jesus Christ nauseated. And He's going to spit you out. And so the challenge is acknowledge Him in all your ways. Whether it's at work, whether it's in the home, whether it's at Walmart, whether it's behind the steering wheel of your car, whether it is on vacation, whether it is in the church house, wherever it is in your life and in your relationships, acknowledge Him in all your ways. That brings us to key number four in our text. Key number four is adjust. Anti-anxiety therapy requires an adjustment. Now, everything that we have said so far are things that we have to do. But adjust is something God does. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that we don't, we don't have to do all of these? There's one of them God's going to do for us. He will adjust our lives to be free from stress. Solomon says it like this. He will make straight your paths. The picture is a straight road. A straight road maneuvers much easier than one that's curvy or filled with obstacles. I can attest this to be true. Um, if you ever ridden, I used to ride a motorcycle all the time. And I used to go with some guys that loved to ride the scenic byways in Arkansas. And go up north of I-40 and all through those scenic byways. And I mean, they're just twists and turns and hairpins. And some of the guys were on sport bikes. Well, if you know anything about motorcycles, a sport bike has a real short wheelbase and it can turn on a dime. It doesn't need any kind of head start to decide whether I'm going to turn right now. You could just turn and do a 180 without much effort whatsoever. But I'm a cruiser guy. And so I'm riding this big, long, wheelbase cruiser. These guys are going 50 miles an hour all of these scenic byways. I made them let me bring up the rear. Because, number one, I wasn't in a hurry. And, number two, I could not maneuver those hairpin curves going lickety-split. I'd have to slow down to 5 or 10 miles an hour to keep from throwing myself off into the ravine. You get on a straightway, though, I'm all about that. Let's just put the hammer down and we'll go straight and 
narrow all the way down. But you know what? This is exactly the message Solomon wants us to see and understand. And he's saying when you accept God as His Word, when you abandon your own understanding, and when you acknowledge God on a full-time basis, He's going to straighten out the road. He's going to adjust your path. And as we drive down the highway of life, I want you to know God is not our co-pilot. I'm sure you've seen the little, bu- the little uh, tags on cars, God is my co-pilot, or the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. saw one on a car one time that was literally beaten to smithereens. And I knew why it was beaten to smithereens. You had the wrong pilot driving the car. You need God as your pilot in life. He's the one that needs to be behind the wheel. And Carrie Underwood, who said, Jesus, take the wheel, she had it figured out. We need God taking the wheel of life, and He will adjust it. And since we're doing the whole vehicle analogy, let's just take it one more step. Our vehicle that we're driving or riding in through life that's given to us by God because we have accepted, abandoned, acknowledged, and He's adjusting our vehicle is not a landcraft. It is a hovercraft. And while everybody else around us is running into obstacles and having to find ways to go around them, our God is lifting us above them to get us beyond them. And that's what He promises to do. And I've seen it again and again and again in my life. And I know you have yours as well. Whatever your stress circumstances are in life, God makes the necessary adjustments to relieve the stress if you accept, abandon, and acknowledge as He is required. Well, what does that look like? Well, sometimes He adjusts the circumstance. I mean, whatever that obstacle was, He may just take it completely out of the way. And that's great. I like it when that happens because, you know, I can actually see it happening. And it requires minimal effort on my part. Or, and this is usually the M.O. that's happened in my life, God will adjust your attitude the way you view that stress-causing circumstance. That, that, that's not as fun because that means I have to look in the mirror and I have to make changes, Jerry. I have to decide that it's not everybody else. Uh, you know what? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem. You ever been around somebody? Maybe this is, has been you. I'll just be honest. There were times in my life where I was always getting in trouble in school. I didn't understand why the teachers hated me so much. Why they were so mean to me. Why they would pick me out of every other student in the class to reprimand. Seemed completely unfair. And one day I just had a a come-to-Jesus moment. And I realized if you will quit doing this, they'll quit doing that. Problem solved. And God made my path straighter. The adjustment came, but the adjustment was me. God will do that for you too. But neither of these adjustments will happen until you decide to accept, abandon, and acknowledge. Make sense? Amazing how much light on life God's Word will shed if we let it. His anxiety therapy, his anti-anxiety therapy, accept him at his word. Abandon 
your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in every aspect of your life and adjust, but let Him do it, whether it's the circumstance or your attitude. Let's go to the last slide. What is it that God needs to make straight in your life? There's got to be something. There has to be something in your life right now that needs to be straightened up. That is causing you undue anxiety. It's causing you stress. causing you difficulty. What is that? Fill in the blanks. What is it for you? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In your marriage, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your relationships. Or maybe trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In your work life, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your career. Or trust the Lord with all your heart do not lean on your own understanding. In your school life, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your education. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on Him. Do not lean on your own understanding. In what is it for you? What's causing the stress? What do you need God to make straight? That's the challenge for today. Is there something that you filled in the blank that we need to pray for for you today? We want to do that.